Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quinn Cummings Gives Bad Advice, the podcast where I, Quinn Cummings, give advice to people I do not know. If you're joining us for the first time, you may be asking yourself, does Quinn really want to give me bad advice? And the answer is no, I do not want to give you bad advice. I want to give you good advice. But I have absolutely no qualification to give you any sort of advice at all. I am not a biologist. I am not a botanist. I am not a bigamist. I give advice because it amuses me to do so. So you might be asking yourself, will this advice I'm about to give you be good advice? Well, I think the answer is in the title of the podcast. If you want me to give you bad advice, you can leave a question for me at qcbad.com. It's completely anonymous, and better yet, it's completely free. So I can offer up this advice with a 100% money-back guarantee. Now, let's get started. My first question today comes from qcbad.com. Dear Quinn, how do you tell a coworker you need to be nice to patients consistently when you are senior to them, but you are not the boss of their department. You reach out to their boss, who I'm guessing you know. You write an email with your concerns and specific examples of this person's behavior. The more specific, the better, ideally with at least one other witness. Then you shed it from your mind, because as maddening as this person might be, they are not your responsibility. Dear Quinn, I consider my creativity to be a big part of my identity, music and art and writing, but I'm in a job that doesn't exactly allow me to do these things. I feel like a big part of myself is being neglected, maybe dying. As an introverted person, my work drains me, and I find it hard to muster the energy to be creative in the evening hours. How do I fight this? I don't want to lose this part of myself. Wallace Stevens, one of the great American poets of the 20th century, spent most of his adult life working as an executive at an insurance company, arguably the least artistic job a person can have. As I've mentioned before, Jean Kerr wrote multiple successful books and plays while also raising a passel of kids, sometimes hiding from them by driving a block away and propping her notebook on her steering wheel. I understand that work is draining. That is work's job, to get every single bit of you because they believe they paid for every single bit of you. But you and I know they did not buy every single bit of you. You are an artist. You must create to feel whole. You do not, however, need to paint the Sistine Chapel to feel whole. So, tonight, I want you to go to bed a half hour earlier than usual. I want you to take a notepad, some colored pencils, and I want you to create a miniature about your day. You'll tell me nothing happened. Of course, something happened. You were alive. You looked around. You saw stuff. The job of the artist is to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. Your job for the next month is to create a bit of art every night about your day. Knowing you are going to have to create this will make you more alert to life's small moments, even if it's just the sparklets bottle in the office kitchen leaked everywhere. Okay, was it kind of beautiful? Draw it and see. 
Do not expect to love the output. Expect to show up for yourself a half hour a day and remind yourself that art matters and makes you feel whole. And then a month from now, see what you want to do next. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, awkward times one million. Dear Quinn, I recently applied for a new job. I had probably the best interview of my life, and I'm a week or two into the waiting part. My current boss pulled me aside today and said he had a friend at the company I interviewed with who informed him that I was applying. Something not many people share with their current boss, right? Cue barrage of questions, earnest and well-meant, about why I'm looking to leave. It's not personal, but after over a year, it's just not the right fit, and I said so. But now what? Do I call the new company to inquire why my current employer was tipped off? I'm a little annoyed that they blew my cover in what sounds like a buddy giving my boss a heads up. And what if they don't make me an offer? Could my desperate boss have said something to move the needle? I went to consort for this one because while I know nothing, I know extra nothing about interview protocol. His take is that if you used your current boss as a reference, it's awkward but acceptable. But that doesn't sound like what happened. What I'm hearing is that two men, both possibly named Brent, were in the changing room at the golf club, and Brent 1 said to Brent 2, Oh, your girl came in for an interview today. Which is odd, and not just because I have it in my head that they were toweling off their undercarriage during this conversation. Very few people who have a job and are looking for another job have spelled this out specifically to their current boss. This tattling, and I can't think of a better word, was unprofessional. In fact, I feel as if everything these two men did verged on unprofessional. And while I'm sorry they have made your move at the very least awkward, this might be a gift. Whatever the job at the new place is, if you get it, if you are answering to this guy, you now have the information he might not be completely trustworthy. And that fact is worth whatever cringe you are feeling right now. And remember, an interview goes both ways. Yes, they are interviewing you, but you are also interviewing them. And you just got a lot of information about how this company works. This one came from QCBad.com. Subject, Torn. Dear Quinn, long hair or short? Both have equal pros and cons. I can't decide. Whichever one you have not had before, or have not had recently, get. Short hair isn't a monolith. If you cut it and you despise it, you'll have a new shape in about three weeks, and then again about three weeks after that. Another thought. If your hair is long and 70% of the time you just pull it back into a ponytail, you might not want short hair. You might just be bored. Try some layers. And it's just hair. This week, I've had a lot of work-related questions. Here's another one. Dear Quinn, my boss is whacked out. Should I keep a low profile and soldier on or bail out? 
I think you have to figure out the exit strategy. Most times it's easier to find a job if you have one, but not always, especially if you think maybe you want to move. If leaving the job makes sense, how much money do you need to have stashed away to not white-knuckle the times in between the work? If your boss is genuinely terrible, do you have an HR department? Have you been keeping a record, and do they know of this record? Yes, HR does not work for you. They work for the company. But if you quit and want unemployment insurance because the job was untenable, it helps to have a record of the abuse. Could you do your job from home two days a week? Can you promise yourself you can leave in June if you, say, learn three more marketable skills and have coffee with people in your field at least twice a week? All this to say, crazy sucks up all the oxygen, and then not crazy feels trapped and airless. You are not trapped, and there is more than enough air. Write out your plans, and then act on them. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, need bad advice from consort. I'm three quarters of the way through my MBA at a tippity-top university. I've got a good job and a great resume of professional experiences in my field, and I'm counting on this MBA helping me lift off to another level in my career. I keep hearing snarky remarks at work and around the professional world that MBAs are a dime a dozen, something hard to hear when I've toiled away at this thing working full-time and raising two kids. You've mentioned that Consort has worked with MBA students. Does he have any advice on how to creatively leverage this new degree so it isn't run-of-the-mill? Or at least a snappy comeback to the naysayers? I really tried to get Consort on the mic. I think he has a great voice. He wouldn't. Here is the letter he wrote to me. Quinn, I'm happy to weigh in on this, but no one needs to hear my voice on anything longer than a voicemail so I will let you convey my thoughts. First, as to MBAs being a dime a dozen, I can assure you that MBAs from tippity-top universities are not. They are a few million dimes a dozen because, as I'm sure you are painfully aware, an MBA from a top program can easily hit six figures. This insane rate of inflation is a serious problem, but it's a problem for another discussion. The good news this high cost does introduce a certain scarcity to the employment marketplace, which can work to your advantage. The bad news, this advantage only goes so far. What matters more is the fact that you're paying for an advanced degree while working full-time and raising your children. This tells me more about your qualifications for success, specifically your courage, your focus, and your ambition, than which university is named on your diploma. Also, your strong resume of pre-MBA work experience is especially valuable to any prospective employer, especially if you're planning to stay in or near the same industry. Think of your resume as a shopping list for any new position. Your MBA is like the milk and eggs at the top of the list. Sure, this may seem run-of-the-mill to some, but to others it will be glaring in its absence. You will never again have to worry about being underqualified, on paper at least. As to your question about how to creatively leverage your newly minted MBA so it isn't run-of-the-mill, that's easy. Unless you are already neck-deep in an MBA-rich environment like 
financial services, real estate, or consulting. You might want to look into those fields where business degrees are not necessarily required, but would be extremely valuable and would clearly differentiate you from other candidates. What do you like to do with your time? Where would you like to work? Find the common interests between you and a prospective employer and stress those qualifications. Then your MBA becomes icing on the cake. It's like a law degree or speaking multiple languages or any collection of skills and credentials that show you to be a thoughtful, energetic, disciplined, and well-rounded person. An advanced degree doesn't mean you need to stay in one category. It means you can master any category. There was never a better time to follow your dreams. If your dreams mean making a shit ton of money, pursue that. If your dreams are about following your bliss and finding creative balance between work and life, there has never been a better time. You didn't say when you expect to graduate, but let me know through Quinn. Obviously, it will be a life-changing milestone and worth it in so many ways. But the thing I remember best was all the time we got back in our lives. No more homework. No more study groups. It was paradise. Oh, as for a snappy comeback to naysayers, try to avoid the obvious ones like, let's talk about this later when you come to me for a job. Or, yeah, you probably couldn't cut it. Or the classic, shut up, you idiot. Here's my suggestion. I had no idea this would be such hard work. I had no idea I'd learn so much. I had no idea I'd love it this much. You should try it. And when you say it, mean it. This one comes from qcbad.com. Subject, insane in the tween brain. Dear Quinn, my husband and I are locked in a war of wills with a teenage mutant ninja visco girl. Our daughter is three weeks shy of her 13th birthday, and she is pushing us to our outer limits. The sass, the snark, the side-eye. What concerns us is her outright refusal to listen. Almost overnight, rewards and consequences don't seem to resonate. It's like negotiating with a terrorist. What can we do to improve two-way communication? Oh, God. This is all sounding so hideously familiar from my distant past, which is to say seven years ago. A few thoughts. First, two book suggestions. Get Blessings of a Skinned Knee and Wildhood. The first will give you tools for raising a resilient human, and the second will explain why this behavior, as exhausting and superhumanly unproductive as it is, is seen in all adolescent animals. You might be relieved to know teenage penguins. Incredibly annoying. But what to do now? Pick your battles. Is the eye-rolling life-threatening or just unnecessarily condescending? Is the snark going to kill her? or just make you wish you could shove her in your mouth like a mother fish. If you are fighting for every inch, you will never stop fighting with her and you will be exhausted. Decide on a couple things which are non-negotiable, and then when she pushes on those, and she will, calmly explain she just lost her phone or whatever matters to her. She will act as if she does not care. 
she cares. The second thing is, remove yourself from the situation. Just as she pretends not to care when she cares, she loves you and she wants you nearby, but only when she wants you and not a second longer. You know, like a pet or a Downton Abbey scullery maid. She is now a teenager. After that comes adult. She is trying out adult roles now. One of the roles she is trying out is how you two will treat each other going forward. I give you permission to say to her, you do not get to talk to me that way. Now I am going out to walk the dog and enjoy the sunset. I am taking your phone with me. When I get back, I hope you'll have found another tone of voice. Because here's the thing. The teenage brain is a magnificent construction that mostly consists of wet playing cards and funhouse mirrors. Often, they aren't being rude. They're just being dumbasses. Dumbasses often require reminders of where their boundaries are. And sometimes, you have to electrify the fence just a little bit. Good luck. I think part of the reason they behave this way is so we'll let them go. Okay, I think that's enough bad advice for today. And remember, I can't give you bad advice if you don't ask for it. Your question doesn't have to be profound, complex, or emotionally demanding. It can be about pretty much anything because, let's face it, I am unqualified to offer advice across a wide range of subject matter. And as we all know, sometimes the nuttiest question gets the best bad advice. You can reach me on Twitter, at Quincy. That's Q-U-I-N-N-C-Y at Twitter.com. Or you can post a question to qcbad.com. Just log into letter Q, letter C, B-A-D.com, and there's a question form right there. The question can be any length, but I'm finding they work better if they're shorter. Just a hint. Before I go, I'd like to thank Richard Emmett, who composed my groovy music, and Keith Greenstein, who designed my groovy logo. People have already started asking me how they can get a bad advice fork in a toaster t-shirt or coffee mug, and my answer to them is, hang in there, we are working on it. I also want to thank Phil Rohr and Prime Rib Productions for making it possible for you to hear any of this. Okay, that's enough for now. Keep those questions coming, and I'll see you all next time. <laughs>